This morning's reading comes from Revelation 8 and starts at verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer, with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? Corrie Ten Boom's perceptive question is one we would all do well to ask ourselves this morning. If prayer is our spare tyre, then it will be something we turn to only in an emergency, if something's gone wrong. Most of the time, it stays unused in the boot of our car. But if prayer is the steering wheel of our life, then we won't go anywhere or do anything without it. Because prayer determines the whole sense of direction in our lives. So, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tyre? Needless to say, as far as God is concerned, he would rather we had it as our steering wheel. And you can see the importance that God attaches to prayer in Revelation chapter 8. Chapter 7 ends with a countless multitude shouting, Victory to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that multitude is the company of those who have come out of the great tribulation. In heaven every tear is wiped from their eyes, and God guides them to springs of water and protects them from all harm. There before the throne of God, they worship him day and night in his temple. And in response to their worship, the angels and the four living creatures cry out, Praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour, power and might be to our God forever. Everyone is rejoicing and worshipping Jesus as the Lamb of God. Because he has the authority to break the seals on a heavenly scroll that reveals God's hidden purpose for the earth. And all this worship is going on and on and on until... The Lamb breaks the seventh seal. And then there is silence in heaven for the space of about half an hour. There's silence, but there's not inactivity. While the heavenly chorus is stilled, John sees seven angels with seven trumpets take their places and get ready to blow their trumpets. The breaking of the last seal on the scroll leads into the blowing of the trumpets. But before the trumpets sound, John sees another angel coming and receiving a lot of incense to mingle with the prayers of all God's people. And the incense and the prayers are mingled together on the altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers ascend together before the throne of God. Then once all the incense has gone up, And all the prayers of the people have ascended. The angel fills the censer with fire from the altar and throws it down to the earth. And the silence, the silence is broken by peals of thunder, which are accompanied by flashes of lightning and an earthquake. 
as the prayers of people go up from earth to heaven in the form of incense, God's answer to those prayers comes down from heaven to earth as the seven trumpets are blown. But why the silence? Is it just to bring a measure of relief to those in heaven who can't stand the incessant worship songs being sung over and over again? Other explanations have been offered. The silence represents awe in the face of the mystery of God's plan of salvation. It represents the period of everlasting rest. The silence of divine contemplation. The renewal of the year of jubilee. The time of peace that follows the period of the Antichrist. But to my mind the most probable answer is that heaven is silent while the Lord receives the prayers of his people. While the angels get ready to blow their trumpets as part of God's answer to the prayers of his people. John appears to be drawing on a Jewish tradition here that the heavenly worship is silenced so that God can receive his people's prayers. One ancient Hebrew text describes how every day at the approach of dawn, God sits on his throne and blesses the living creatures and then commands, let the voice of my creatures which I have created be silent for me. And let me hear and give ear to the prayer of my sons, the people of Israel. There's another ancient Jewish text, the Testament of Abraham, which divides the day and the night into periods of 12 hours each. The last two hours of the night are particularly significant. The 11th hour, there is joy in all the earth when the sun rises from paradise and shines forth upon creation. The 12th hour is the waiting for incense. And silence is imposed on all the ranks of fire and wind until all the priests burn incense to his divinity. That twelfth hour of the night, the hour after sunrise, the priests would burn incense to the Lord first thing in the morning. That was also the hour of prayer. And as the incense went up, so did the prayers of the people in the temple. Together as a sweet-smelling fragrance to the Lord. And in Revelation 8, John pictures all the heavenly choirs, all the singing and the worshipping and the adoration stopping. For half an hour, first thing in the morning. So that the incense of the prayers of God's people come up before the Lord uninterrupted. You want to know the importance God attaches to prayer? Revelation says that God clears his desk. Stops all the business of heaven for half an hour first thing in the morning for the sole purpose of listening to our prayers. That's the important news attaches to them. Allow me to read you at length Dennis Lennon's perceptive comments on the passage from his book Encounter with God in Revelation, published by Scripture Union. He says, God calls for silence. He turns down the volume of the cosmic din in order to listen to the prayers of his people as they come up to him mingled with the angels' incense of worship. Suddenly, our idea of prayer as a serene inner activity blown away by heaven's astonishing response to our prayers. Dangerous and revolutionary powers are released at the throne. 
The angel priestess scooped into the censer blazing coals from the great altar of incense, swung it round to fan the fire and tossed the flaming contents back onto the heads of God's enemies on the earth. The praying people are protected by the seal on their foreheads. The conflagration and panic are described in classic apocalyptic pyrotechnics. Peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Here is a dazzling picture of what goes on when Christians besiege heaven in prayer. They move from the insignificant and irrelevant margins of affairs into their centre. Prayer puts the believer in touch with the deepest mysteries of the world, processes and events. Praying Christians are the real aggressors, setting the earth ablaze with the dangerous fires of God's purposes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation, when God answers the prayers of the saints on earth, he does so in a mighty way. It's in answer to the prayers of God's people that the angel takes the fire from the censer and throws it on the earth, and the silence is shattered by the thunder and the earthquake. And immediately after this, the angels sound their seven trumpets and instigate a series of divine judgments upon the whole earth, judgments that are heralded by the lightning, the thunder and the earthquake. The message that John is seeking to convey to his readers is clear. The things taking place down here take place at the command of God, symbolised by the blowing of the trumpets. And God commands the trumpets to blow and bring judgment on the earth in answer to the prayers of God's people. We influence world events in our prayers down here. Reading Revelation, I suspect that many of us would be dismayed if we thought that our prayers could be responsible for such calamitous happenings as we read taking place in the second part of Revelation chapter 8. If that's the effect my prayers are going to have, perhaps I'd better not pray at all. Yet we, in 21st century Britain, live in a very different situation to John's first readers. We are not facing persecution and death at the hands of a megalomaniac like Nero or Domitian. We are not oppressed, scared, a tidy minority, vulnerable people in the face of generally hostile societies. We don't live in an empire that's brutal and corrupt and godless to its very core. Maybe we lived, maybe if we lived in first century Asia Minor under the dominion of the Roman Empire, or if we were living under Hitler or under Stalin, or if we were in Zimbabwe or Syria, then perhaps we would understand what John is saying here. The powers that have ranged themselves against God are ripe for judgment. It is time for change. And that judgment comes about as a result of Christians' prayers. We, within the comfort zone of 21st century Western civilization, tend to pray for order and stability. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Aristides of Athens, a very early Christian apologist, said, I have no doubt that the world stands because of the prayers of Christians. As far as he was concerned, the prayers of believers were the one thing that stopped the world sliding into chaos. But where it has become chaotic, 
then there is a need for change. And God was faced with a situation where as far as he was concerned, the godless powers of the Antichrist were taking charge, apparently. And he doesn't hesitate to pray fervently for their downfall. So, when you pray, whether you pray for order and peace to prevail, or whether you pray for ungodly powers to be overthrown and replaced with God's kingdom, depends very much on where you are praying, what you are praying for, and your perception on the world situation. But remember, remember this. That if we set our hearts to pray for the return of Jesus Christ and the coming of his kingdom, then before that happens there will be upheaval and trouble and famine and war and all kinds of desperate situations before he comes back. As the evil powers of this dying age flex their muscles for a last desperate stand. And when we look around the world and see that kind of thing going on, at such a time, we dare not pray. But when we come to pray, however we pray, Revelation 8 assures us of two things. Firstly, our prayers are heard. They come before God in the silence of heaven. And secondly... Our prayers are answered and make a real difference to what is going on in the world. If we don't pray, how can we expect God to do anything? Make personal prayer part of your daily routine. Use it as your steering wheel for your own life and for God to direct the events of the world. God forbid that we should ever sin by being a prayerless people. So let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we live in a noisy and a busy world. The cacophony of sound surrounds us. Sometimes when we come to church, it's a bit like that as well. There is no stillness. But now before you, we are still. We are still and we recognise that you are God. And prayer matters because there is no higher authority to whom we can address the burdens of our hearts for our own lives, for the lives of others and for this troubled world. Lift our minds to heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, having all authority and power and dominion. Jesus, where godless powers hold sway and inflict untold suffering on the populations of the the nations, Sweep them away and let your kingdom come. We pray for change. 
Help us to recognise that through our prayers we can be agents of change. You are ready to listen. Help us to invest in our prayer lives the significance that your listening merits. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.